Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Let me encourage you, please, to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we will begin in verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And then you might also flip over and keep a finger in the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 10. We'll be hitting both of those passages here in just a few minutes. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, I just want to welcome us all into this part of our worship service, this ongoing study, and welcome the rest of our church family, worshiping in the Family Life Center, as well as those who are part of our JCBC extended family, uh, worshiping online. You are welcome in this time and space, and uh, we're grateful that you would choose to be with us this morning or sometime this week. Let's take just a moment as I offer a word of prayer to prepare our minds and our hearts for the study of the word. Let's pray together. Good and loving God, we recognize that you are both good and loving, and we recognize that on most days, we, we can be neither. And in this moment, we pray that you would show us something about your goodness and your love that so transforms us that we leave this place different than when we came. Lord, we have brought into this time of study and into this worship hour all kinds of burdens. We have brought with us both of our hurts and our hopes. We have brought into this space all that we long for and all that we have lost. And we lay it before you. And we recognize that something powerful happens every time we yield ourselves to the power of your spirit. We recognize that we become confronted by you and we become transformed in you. And we pray that during these next few moments of study, you would give us the courage to yield our egos before you, to yield our pride before you to lay down our sin before you so that in all transparency, your spirit may show us something that is deep and right and good that we may actually follow it out of this place and into your world. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the Lord of life. Amen. So today is part four of an ongoing study, a series that we're calling Me, Myself, and Why. And do you know why? Because Jesus said, there is nothing more important than love. Nothing more important 
than to learn how to love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. But the truth is you and I cannot fully love God until we learn something about loving our neighbors because according to the teachings of Jesus, according to the ethic of the entire New Testament and the undergirding of the whole of the Hebrew Bible, the love of God begins with the love of neighbor. And we can't really truly fully love our neighbor until we begin to yield ourselves to the possibility that we have more to understand about them. And to seek to understand our neighbor is a pathway to loving them. But you still really can't love your neighbor, even if you want to, until you realize you are a neighbor. You yourself are a neighbor intrinsically worthy of love because God made you that way. When God made you, you were born because God thought you were a good idea. And so maybe learning to love yourself is a pathway to loving the neighbor. And loving a neighbor is a pathway to truly loving God. And that's why we're in this series, Me, Myself, and Why. Because we need to seek to understand something about ourselves. Where are my hidden motives and my hidden traps? What are the sins that so often corrupt What is it that lies corralling around the corner, just lurching, waiting to pounce upon me? And in our pursuit of understanding ourselves, we become better lovers of God and of people. So during this series, we have been giving ourselves to the study of sacred scripture through the lens of the Enneagram. That's how I've been saying it for about 10 weeks since I showed you it was coming. It's a study of sacred scripture through the lens of the Enneagram. And all these many weeks, what we're doing is we're looking at the reality that there are nine ways to see life. And using the tool, the ancient tool of the Enneagram, this is a truth teller about how we see life. We see life and we view and do life in at least nine different ways. And and all nine of these ways are within us, but along the way, somewhere early, one begins to emerge as our primary way of seeing the world. Have you ever met anybody who doesn't see the world the way you see it? Ever? Well, let me introduce myself to you. And so each of these nine ways is a way to know something about your kids and your husband and your wife and your neighbor and your coworker and even your enemy. And we've said that this ancient tool to understand the way that we're wired, the way that we move and groove in the world can be divided into three groups of three, three triads or centers of intelligence because every one of us feels, thinks, and we do. And those of us who are primarily in the heart triad, we're the ones who basically feel our way through life. These are the twos, threes, and fours, and we we feel our way through life because we're driven by this unconscious drive of shame. Those of us in the head triad, the five, sixes, and sevens, well, we move through life by thinking our way through life, driven by an unconscious motivation of fear. And those who are in the gut triad or the body triad, we are the ones who do through life. We function and move and and take action through life, motivated by an unconscious drive 
of some under-the-radar, just-beneath-the-surface kind of anger. And though all three of these human instincts are in us to think and feel and do, usually we end up letting one emerge as our primary way to enter the world. And last week and the week before, we've been studying primarily the feeling triad, the heart triad. Today's the third week. Two weeks ago, we talked about twos, the helpers who try to move through life by seeing the needs of others and meeting those needs, even if it causes them to ignore their own needs, which fills them with pride and is not good. We talked last week about the threes who move through life attempting to set aside their feelings and succeed and achieve, allowing them to give in to the sin of deceit as they believe their own headlines, right? Well, today, in order to learn how to love more deeply, we're studying the fours. The fours, I love fours, y'all. I love fours because fours are called the individualist or the romantic. If you are a four, you probably refer, prefer the, the term romantic because it just kind of sounds smooth, cool. Sounds, you know. But the individualist is the person who marches to the beat of her own drum. The individualist or the romantic is the one who has the capacity to feel life. They're prone to the dramatic they're prone to the, the theatrical in life. Do you know anybody dramatic? Do you know anybody prone to feeling their way through life? They have this almost kind of superpower because they have the capacity to understand and experience the full range of human emotion from the deepest low all the way to the highest high and sometimes in a single given day. It's said that there are fewer fours on the Enneagram than, than anyone else in the world, or fewer fours in the world than anyone else on the Enneagram. And the fours love to hear that. You know why? Because they love being unique. To be unique, to be set apart, to stand out in a crowd is a drive for them. But they want to be understood. And, and what's beautiful about threes is threes have the capacity to see both the beautiful and the brutal, and hold them in, in concert with each other. Fours are those in your family and those around you who have the ability to feel both the beauty and the tragedy of life and be perfectly content living in both extremes. That really is a superpower. It makes the world more beautiful. It makes the more, world more interesting. These are the creatives. These are the ones who sing and write music and plays. And they, and they, make, they make great uh, poets. But with every superpower, as I've been saying to you, there is a kind of kryptonite. Every strength that we have can be our weakness. And the truth is, for fours among us, these are the persons for whom their deadly sin or their passion is envy. Now think about that for just a moment. Envy. Now envy is not the same thing as jealousy. To be jealous means I see your truck and I'd like to have your truck. That's jealousy. It's wanting a thing that somebody else has. Envy is feeling like you are missing something that someone else embodies. Fours feel envious because they feel as if everyone else in their life 
is more content, more connected. They have somehow found a way to exist in the world that is filled with joy and connectivity and love and grace, and they feel as if there's something tragically missing in them all the time. I mean, they struggle with FOMO, fear of missing out, but it's not just fear of missing out of the party, or it's not just fear of missing out on the thing that happened. It's fear that what if I am missing this part in my life that I see in other people's life and they deal with the scarcity mind. They are so focused on this feeling that they are missing something, this kind of tragic or fatal flaw that they sometimes miss the very thing they have because they're worried about the thing they don't have. See, that leads them to bouts of absolute sadness. Fours can be driven into kind of a spiral in which they camp out in this kind of melancholy haze. And I'm not just talking about depression or manic depression or, or bipolar disorder, because hear me say this, those are, are clinical conditions that are deserving of our, of our best and most focused energy and attention. This is not that. Fours, have, however, have the capacity to catastrophize and spiral down and stay there because of something they fear is missing. In my family, Jackson, my son, is a four. He's a four. He's creative, he's expressive, he's the most imaginative person that I know. But I'm telling you, when we moved here more than seven years ago, something happened. He's in the middle of the fourth grade. We move in the middle of the fourth grade because I was so eager to get here. And we get here, and I want you to keep in mind, so he goes through kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and half of fourth grade, and that's like three and a half years of being able to prove just how special I am. And so he was the dancing Santa Claus in the school play, and he's the one when we had uh, parties there in the the, the streets of, of College Park, he'd be the only kid out in the middle of the dance floor getting some attention. He's the one who had a funny way to dress, and a, he's the one at gymnastics who could do the things that the other kids might not be able to do, and so he stands out. He's a four. He's going to be unique. He's going to be different. Well, we move here in the middle of his fourth grade year, and he has a hard time at first. He has a hard time connecting because they didn't get the memo up here of how awesome he is. So he goes, and we, one night we're at dinner, and we're at the dinner table, and we're eating, and he's just sad. And he's been sad. He's been kind of moody. He's kind of barking at things and, and kind of snapping at his brother. And I said, buddy, what is wrong with you tonight? I mean, you just, you're really worked up. What, what is wrong with you? Why are you so upset? And he's crying. And he said... Because I just feel like nobody respects me in this town. (laughs) Nobody respects me in this town. You know what he was saying without having the language to say it? Is I know that I'm unique, but they don't know it yet. And I must be missing something to be able to prove to them that I'm worth looking at and being seen as a fourth grader, see. Fours have the capacity to slip into a sadness and stay there. In the Bible, there is a character in 1 Samuel who exhibits four energy like no one else. It's King Saul. 
And Samuel is told by God that, that Saul will be the one to be anointed king. And he's, he's approaching Saul. Samuel the prophet approaches Saul and begins to get to know him and begins to call him out for this high calling to be the king of Israel. And I want you to pick up on the kind of conversation that he has, this four king. Samuel comes to him and explains to him, I want you to come and do some things. I'm going to watch you. We're going to connect here. There's a big thing going on. And this is how the conversation unfolds in 1 Samuel 9, verse 20. And this is Samuel speaking. And on whom is all Israel's desire fixed, if not on you, Saul, and on all your ancestral house? And Saul answered, I'm only a Benjamite, Benjaminite, from the least of the tribes of Israel. And my family is the humblest of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Fours have the capacity for self-doubting shame. If you have a four in your family, understand that they, along with King Saul, struggled with self-doubting shame. They are so aware of the thing that they think they're missing that they don't see the thing that is in them, and they miss it completely. If fours were Enneagram, or if they were Disney characters, a four can be both Tigger and Eeyore. I'm special, I'm great, woo you know, and at the same time, oh, I'm just from the tribe of Benjamin, you know. And Saul struggles because he does not see the thing that is in him because fours and Saul and maybe you and I in some way live with a scarcity mind. Well, this conversation continues. He coaxes him out and he, he calls him to be the king and he's going to pull out Saul in front of all the people of Israel and name him king. But when he shows up to get Saul, Saul is missing. He's hiding. And we hear these words in chapter 10, verse 21. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord. Did the, did the man come here? And the Lord said, I love this. See, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and brought him there and when he took his stand among the people, he was head and shoulders taller than any of them. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. I love this passage because he's called out to be king, but he goes and he hides among the luggage, the baggage, the boxes, fours hide in their baggage they carry a baggage around but they literally hide they withdraw because on the enneagram there are three numbers that are in the withdrawing stance and when something goes down while all six other numbers deal with it one way and we'll get to that at another time fours are in the withdrawing stance they withdraw into their emotions Saul literally hid among the boxes to withdraw one day when we were in Orlando, ugh, we were in Orlando and Jackson got into some trouble. And we came down pretty hard on him and he got in trouble and, and that was it. it was, we were done with it, but then we didn't tell him to go to, the, to his room. He just decided to go to his room. He's going to withdraw. 
And he had, did, he had done that from time to time. So he did that that time. He withdrew into his room and he was there for like a couple of hours without coming out. And we said, well, that's normal. Maybe he just fell asleep. Maybe he's gone to think about it and to fall asleep and I'll go check on him. When I went upstairs to check on this four who had withdrawn from the pain of being called out, this is what I saw. I just want you to freeze there for just a minute. I walk in and in like this Mr. Miyagi or, or maybe even a Yoda voice, he said, meditation is the key. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we don't even know that you're a four, but you're a four. Look at him there. I mean, he's just, so they withdraw so that they can work it out. Meditation is the key. Saul is drawn out. They had to pull him out. It's been said that four, Suzanne Stabile says that fours are push and pull people. That means they push you and they pull you. And the best way to love them, if you have a four in your family or somebody who sounds like this in your family, when they push, don't push. When they pull, don't pull. It requires learning to give space for grace and detach yourself enough to be present, but to not completely withdraw. Because if they push you, don't go too far. They will eventually want to pull you back. See, love is hard work. Hard work. It requires understanding something about how the other is wired and how they enter into the world. And, and I love what Samuel says about Saul next in that passage. It's like the most four statement that could ever be made. Listen to what he says. He goes, there is no one like him and all the people. He calls him out for being different, unique. And then his kingship began, and it started really well. It started with some strength. He had some early victories. He, he, gave some early, he, he had some early victories, but then he gave in to some of his primal sin of envy. So he defeats the Philistines. And after this defeat of the Philistines, he wants to celebrate, so he's going to do a burnt offering. But you know, you know especially from your study of Leviticus, that you can't just walk in and offer a burnt offering, that's the job of particular people in Israel. Not even the king is allowed. He goes in and does it anyway, gets in some big trouble. See, everybody else on the Enneagram, we all use the word like, why me? Fours? Say, well, why not me? I'm special. And he goes down this spiraling uh, abyss where he makes one decision after the next that makes it worse and worse and worse until eventually they send in the musicians to calm his mind and David you know who would become king later David of David and Goliath fame is playing the harp and he gets so angry so deep in this despair he chucks a spear at him to try to kill him and he had heard the songs that they had been singing remember envy 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 he had heard the women singing about him in years past. Saul kills his thousands, but now the women are writing new songs. And David, his star is on the rise, and now the women are singing new songs. Saul killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul is vexed in his heart because of the thing that he fears he is missing. And I'm here to tell you that fours are vexed by other people's songs. 
vexed by other people's songs. They may be able to celebrate a win for somebody else, but deep inside they're wondering, what am I missing that keeps me from living at that level of joy and contentment? And they didn't get there overnight because we all carry wounding messages in our lives. And each Enneagram number has a different wounding messages for fours. The wounding message that is carried around all the time with or without their awareness is this. It's not okay to be too happy or functional in the world. It sounds odd to the rest of us, doesn't it? But man, if you're a four, you're saying, yep. You know why? Because fours understand more than the rest of us that the world is too complex to be too happy. (laughs) I mean, why be too happy when the reality is that it could all fall in tomorrow, so don't let myself become too functional or happy? Can you imagine living with that in your heart all the time? That's why the message of Christ and the healing message of the gospel is what they need to hear to undo the wounding message of you can't be too happy or functional. And the healing message is this, you are seen for who you are. Not for the image that you project, not for the performance that you put on display, not because you're standing out and you march to the beat of your own drum, but you are seen for who you are. Now, each week during our sermon series, you you know our pattern. I'm going to introduce some characteristics of some of the people in your family, maybe even you. And then we're going to look at a biblical character that demonstrates the truth of that in Scripture. And then I want you to meet somebody. Meet somebody who puts a face on that conversation. Now, Jackson is not here. He is the most self-aware four I've ever met. really is. But he's not here. You know why? The theater troupe that he's in is doing a very four thing. They're performing at Disney right now. Yeah. And on their way home, he and some of his buddies are going to be watching this. And I want you to watch a conversation that we recorded together about what it's like to be inside his head all the time. Take a look. All right, so... Jackson, you are a four on the Indian. I am. And aware it proudly, but yep. are fully aware of, of all that that means. Not fully aware, but are becoming, like all of us, becoming more aware of the highs and lows of that, mm-hmm. of, of the superpower that comes with being a four and the kryptonite mm-hmm. that sometimes comes with being a four. So just for a minute, why don't you kind of get us started by telling us what's it like being inside your head, your world. What's the, what color is the sky in your world, basically, right? All right. Um, well, the sky's rainbow in my world. <laughs> um, no, it, it, so in a four's mind, it's very unique. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we pride ourselves in, in our uniqueness. Um, it, there can be like sunshine and darkness mm. in our minds and, um, a lot of what we're driven by is a need to be understood, a need to be, uh, to stand out, to be, because we feel like we're only loved if we make ourselves unique so mm-hmm. that we're indispensable. Noticeable. Others. Noticeable so that stand no out. one can replace us, no one's like us. Okay. Um, and so a lot of um, the way I live my life is making sure that I'm, people know that I'm, and it's, it's, it's stuff that comes with its kryptonite too. It does, um, yeah. What's that look like? What's the kryptonite side of it? A lot of the kryptonite side of it is um, force can get in a really dark place. Mm. 
as opposed to like some of the other type. Like fours can and and stay there sometimes. And stay there. Um, they're they're very comfortable with their emotions and with um, feeling a whole range of emotions. But a lot of times they can really start to catastrophize and go down this uh, rabbit hole of of bad emotions, mm -hmm. of really sad and dark, like just not great plays. Mm -hmm. And um, if the more unaware a, um, a four gets, the harder it is to get out of that. So say more about that. The more, the less aware you are of what? Of, of that tendency. Yeah. And okay. so, er, of your four tendencies. Yeah. So a lot of the Enneagram is about being aware. It's just so that about the being bad aware. qualities right. or the bad traits can start to fall away. So if you stay awake to that. If, if we can understand that. This then, is why where I am is where I am. Then we can start to recognize it when it's happening yeah, yeah. and be like, okay, hold on, Jackson. This is, let's just take a second yeah. here. And that is, and, and that is unique because not all of us can, can make that full bandwidth, right. that range of emotion and be okay with it. Right? Yeah. Fours. You, yeah. I, I, um, fours have another superpower. Oh, I know we're so cool. Sure. Uh, you, you clearly have more than everybody else. Yeah. Different. Because it's unique to have yeah. more than one superpower. No, we have so many superpowers. What do you have, like x-ray vision? What is it? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, one of our superpowers is a really cool thing we can do. When people are sad, a lot of other types will try to fix it or mm. will try to do something about it. When someone's sad and a four is um, coming up to try to help you with it, they are the only type that is okay um, observing and witnessing sadness in somebody and not having to fix it. Mm. And sometimes that's what we need. All right. Yes. All right, so the unique piece then. So yeah. let's go ahead and talk about that again for just a minute. So um, how far back, even though when you were a kid, you'd, you would not have been aware of the Enneagram or your tendencies or the persona that you're picking up, um, but how far back do you remember feeling that way, trying to stand out, be unique? When did that begin to emerge, whether you know how to talk about it or not? Um, well, when I was younger, we used to have like, you know, we used to have Lego uh, building contests with all, all my cousins. My what first grade self, I would they'd take out this big bin of Legos and we'd have like 20 minutes to build the coolest thing we can. Right. And they'd have prizes, yeah, first, second, third, but then they'd also have the categories. Mm -hmm. So they'd have um, most uh, colorful, most uh, biggest, biggest, most, uh, yeah. most uh, realistic. Okay and then most creative. Uh -huh. Now that one piqued my interest a lot more. You always got uh, that one. That's because I, and I tended to get yeah, it a lot yeah, yeah. Uh, because it differentiated me from everyone yeah, else. Yeah. It wasn't first place. It wasn't first, yeah, because yeah, I'm fine not getting first place. Okay. But well that plays out now even in, in yeah. your, your, what you do in theater. Yeah, so like so. I, I'm in drama and I'm okay not being the lead in the show mm -hmm. if it means I can be the character in the show that people walk away and talk about and are like and remember hey remember that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that kid right there he, that was the highlight of the show right okay there. Yeah. and that someone I that I stand out and mm -hmm. so people know me because I stand out being I remember when you were a kid also like a little bit older you were third grade you were into Michael Jackson <laughs> yeah. and big time into Michael Jackson and and had all the moves you had the glove the and you had a like like a fedora collection. You yeah, know, like I had like eleven different fedoras, fedoras in yeah. third grade. Most of them didn't fit, and they sat down yeah, over they, ears. They but, sat like, like but here. nobody else had the fedoras. <laughs> so you're like, this is me. I'm, well, because people my, approved or people kind of like affirmed that mm -hmm. and um, and realized, okay, this kid's special, and so 
because of this. So you and latched so on to I that. I latched on to that. Yeah, I'm like, okay, right. give me yeah. more. That's true. But, and that's true for all the numbers. Whatever you get affirmed in, whether you become the helper or the winner or the achiever, the, you know, whoever, whatever you, that is, it's your persona you put on. You learn to put this on in order to uh, survive and be affirmed and be loved in the world. Mask. But if that's, that's true, it, we know the goal, right? Especially with Christ in us, is to, to gradually learn to shed that skin. Um, so we talk a lot about, um, sometimes we carry around wounding messages. So everybody in the Enneagram, all numbers, have this wounding message they carry around. Whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's just, it is a message that we pick up along the way. Mm-hmm. And so we, we know that the fours have picked up some kind of message that sounds like this. It's, it's not okay to be too happy or too functional in the world because something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Right? It's not okay to be too happy or too functional. Um, how does that live out or play out in your life? <coughs> What's that look like? Well, um, I can find myself a lot in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a, a lot of fours go through periods of happiness and sadness. And a lot of people, everyone does. But with fours, we can have a tendency to, during the happiness, mm-hmm. not enjoy it. Because during that whole time, we're worried about, because we're like, okay, we know this can't last. This isn't permanent. Mm-hmm. And so why enjoy it? Yeah. But also we're like, this, this isn't permanent. And so we start to get caught up in, oh, no, then what's going to go wrong? Yeah. Which means you never can fully be present in a yeah. moment that's supposed to be happy or content because we're worried about how it's going to this is going to end sometimes so it's yeah. got to be fatal it's got to so, be and so, and so this is just minute yeah okay but so if that's the wounding message we're told that the healing message that can be remembered um, is that you are seen for who you are that you don't have to have the persona to be seen to be to be recognized but you are seen for who you are what do you think about that um, I think, yeah, I, I think all of the types, and especially the types in the uh, heart triad, the twos, threes, and fours, need to be told, need to learn, hear from people, and understand that uh, they're loved for who they are. Mm-hmm. But I think fours are different. So what's new? Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't they be? Um, but, um, <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they need to be told that, not, not that they... Not necessarily that they're loved for who they are, mm. but more that you love who they are. Mm. You know, there's so, a subtle difference there. There is a difference there because yeah. when you say you're loved for, I, 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 when you say to a four, I love you for who you are, then it sounds like you're saying, could be. oh, I love you for how you're, um, right, right, for right. this persona that you're making of yourself, yeah. this unique person that you've done. So you've succeeded in that. Because a four would say, you don't. Clearly, you don't totally understand me. So, what you're actually saying you love is what I'm projecting. Right? Exactly. When really you're when saying really, what you need to like make sure force here that no, I love who you are yeah, so on the good. inside. That's under so good. All that. That's mm-hmm. really really good. Okay. Good stuff. Did you hear that? If you know somebody who's a four, if you know somebody who sounds like we've been describing, what they need to hear is not simply. I love the act, I love the persona, but I love who you are. There can be no more Christ-like action than to see somebody for who they are behind the mask, behind the projection, the persona. And that is hard work.
Now, every week after the sermon, we are listening to a song written by Sleeping at Last that is written from the perspective of that particular number. These lyrics are amazing. They get inside the heart and the head and the gut of a four. But I want you to pay particular attention to the last few lines of this song as Adam sings. I'm turning out the lights to remember how to see until the renaissance takes place and resuscitates the color of pain and divinity as if God hid the building blocks of every beautiful thing in this game of hide and seek I can't help but think that ordinary I swallowed the key Bodies fashioned out of dirt and dust For a moment we get to be glorious Eyes sculptures adorned in light Sand castles built all in between the tides And maybe I'm hiding behind metaphor And maybe my heart needs to break to be sure One day I'll wear it all on my sleeve The insignificant with the sacred unique But I've fallen in Lost my balance when I needed it most And this blurry photograph is proof Of what I'm not sure But it feels like the truth And I'm stuck swimming circles down here It's been forever since I came up for air A flashlight in hand determined to find Authenticity, only poetry could even begin to try to describe. Bodies fashion out of dirt and dust for a moment we get to be glorious get to be glorious get to be glorious what if we already are I can plainly see a reflection of 
magnificence hidden in you, maybe even in me. See what I mean? Could anything be more Christ-like than to attempt to see in the other in your life something behind what they're trying to project? By the way, Adam, who is just, you're just killing. He's on his way over to do his work. He's still got a job to do. He's killing this. He happens to be a four. Yeah, yeah. And I love everything about not just who we see, but who he is. And that's the call for all of us, to learn something about loving one another, not for how we position in our lives, but for who God made us to be. Now let's bow together in prayer. God, can we have your eyes? Because if we could borrow them for a moment. <laughs> uh, Lord, if we could borrow your eyes for a moment, we could see. The person with whom we disagree and the person whom we may call enemy, the person who comes at life in every opposite way than we come at life, we could see in them something behind what it is that they're projecting in front of us. And Lord, if we could borrow your eyes this week, we pray that you would show us something, not only about the other and not only about ourselves, but about you. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.